Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who, when Christ had been baptised in the River Jordan, and as the Holy Spirit descended upon him, solemnly declared him your beloved Son, grant that your children by adoption, reborn of water and the Holy Spirit, may always be well-pleasing to you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have endowed him with my spirit, that he may bring true justice to the nations. He does not cry out or shout aloud, or make his voice heard in the streets. He does not break the crushed reed, nor quench the wavering flame. Faithfully, he brings true justice. He will neither waver nor be crushed until true justice is established on earth, for the islands are awaiting his law. I, the Lord, have called you to serve the cause of right. I have taken you by the hand and formed you. I have appointed you as covenant of the people and light of the nations. To open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, and those who live in darkness from the dungeon. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The Lord will bless his people with peace. O give the Lord, you sons of God. Give the Lord glory and power. Give the Lord the glory of his name. Adore the Lord in his holy court. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The Lord's voice resounding on the waters, the Lord on the immensity of waters, the voice of the Lord full of power, the voice of the Lord full of splendor. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The God of glory thunders, in his temple they all cry, Glory. The Lord sat enthroned over the flood, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will bless his people with peace. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles Peter addressed Cornelius and his household. The truth I have now come to realize, he said, is that God does not have favorites, but that anybody of any nationality who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. It is true, God sent his word to the people of Israel, and it was to them that the good news of peace was brought by Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is Lord of all men. You must have heard about the recent happenings in Judea, about Jesus of Nazareth and how he began in Galilee after John had been preaching baptism. God had anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and because God was with him, Jesus went about doing good and curing all who had fallen into into the power of the devil. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. John said, He who is to come is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Alleluia.
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. A feeling of expectancy had grown among the people who were beginning to think that John might be the Christ. So John declared before them all, I baptise you with water, but someone is coming, someone who is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to undo the strap of his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, when all the people had been baptised, and while Jesus, after his own baptism, was at prayer, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily shape, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. My favour rests on you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the scene that we're presented with in the Gospel today, it's, it's an extraordinary and beautiful moment. We hear about Jesus having received baptism in the Jordan River, and then the voice of God the Father calls out, You are my Son, the Beloved. And we see the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Now, this scene of the voice of the Father affirming the Son while the Holy Spirit descends upon him, this is a glorious theophany. Now, that's just a fancy pants word to say it's a glorious appearance, a revelation of God himself. Because we see here God fully on display, a trinity of persons. The Father's voice is calling Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. So if you stop and think about it, this is a truly incredible moment, because in Jesus Christ, we have revealed to us the fact that God is a trinity. Three persons, one God. Yes, he is the one God of the Israelites, the one they had known for centuries. But his oneness doesn't also mean aloneness. No, God is love. He's an eternal exchange of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Though he's one, he's a community of three persons, a deep and intimate communion of love. So we read in the Gospel, while Jesus, after his own baptism, was at prayer, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily shape like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. My favour rests on you. Now, here's the question, though. Why does it really matter to us what God is like? I mean... How does it change my day-to-day life knowing that God is a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rather than just one single person, God? It doesn't seem terribly relevant. Surely this great moment of theophany, this baptism of Jesus in the Jordan, is of interest only to theologians who like to twist themselves up into little word knots while they seek to understand things. Um things which they freely themselves admit they'll never fully understand. You know, let's leave the technical stuff to the theological boffins and get on with living a good life. Well, these days our culture is very pragmatic. 
Very often our concerns focus on what works more than on what's true. Spare me the theory, just tell me how to get the job done. Don't bore me with details, cut to the chase, and show me what I need to do. It's an attitude that can kind of stealthily creep into our spiritual lives. In fact, one man who held this pragmatic kind of attitude toward Christianity was the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. Apart from his political successes and his role as the principal author of the US Declaration of Independence, Jefferson is also famous for having compiled what is today called the Jefferson Bible. What Thomas Jefferson sought to do was to cut to the chase. He took the four Gospels and edited them into one single narrative. He left in the historical stuff and the moral teachings of Christ, but anything that was miraculous, anything that spoke of the divinity of Jesus, anything that was supernatural, he cut out. Now, I don't recommend you read the Jefferson Bible, but you can see what he's trying to do. Spare me the details. Just tell me what I need to do. How can I be a good boy? That's how you cut to the chase. Don't give me theology. Give me practical advice on how to live my life. The rest, it's all fluff. Now, I suspect that Thomas Jefferson's brand of Christianity is alive and well in Australia. I see it every time someone says to me, Father, I don't come to Mass, but I don't kill anyone, so I'm a good person. Which is as much to say that supernatural, miraculous, theological stuff, it's all just widow dressing. The point of Christianity is that we behave ourselves, and I behave myself, so I've achieved the goal of Christianity. No doubt you've all heard that line of thought. It's pervasive among nominal Catholics and Christians. And it's based on a fundamental misunderstanding of the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, the moral life is extremely important. And we must always strive to do good because God is good. But we can't reduce the teachings of Christ to merely a moral message. We can't approach the scriptures and say, cut the babble, just tell me what to do. No, at its heart, the mission of Jesus, the reason why the Father sent the Son into the world is bigger than just correcting our bad behaviour. No, the Son has come into the world so that we might be saved from our fallen human condition and be inserted into the life of the Trinity, this eternal exchange of love between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The heart of the Gospel at the end of the day isn't so much a moral teaching about how we should act, But the heart of the gospel is the revelation that God is sharing his divine life with us. In St. John's gospel, Jesus describes baptism as being reborn or born again. And we really can't overstate the importance of this language. Just as with our natural births in the flesh, we received our parents as mum and dad, so too... By being born again in the Spirit, we receive a new Father, God himself. By our baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon us and dwells with us, so that we become temples of the Holy Spirit, the very dwelling place for God. Now, here's the beautiful upshot. If God is our Father, what does that make us? His sons and daughters. 
We are the sons and daughters of God. He has claimed us. He has adopted us. And all of this is done because of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who is the only begotten Son of the Father from all eternity. And so the early church had a beautiful and succinct expression to describe this reality. They said that we are sons in the Son. Now, I'm sorry to have rushed so quickly through such a precious sacrament like baptism. But knowing the effect that baptism has on us Christians, knowing that this is how we're incorporated into the body of Christ, how we too are taken into his sonship and given divine adoption, that we're sons of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Well, we can start to see now that, you know, according to that great phrase of St. Paul, we are now in Christ. We are sons in the Son. So by means of baptism, by means of our rebirth in the Spirit, we are inserted into the very life of the Trinity, which is the eternal exchange of love. This marvellous theophany that we read about in the Gospel today, we too are at the heart of it, because this is the very mission of Christ. He has come so that through our rebirth, we might have life. True life, God's kind of life, which is eternal life. And to have this life to the full. We can't reduce Christ's mission to a simple moral message. He didn't come to correct our bad behavior. He came to insert us into the very life of God. And it seems that poor old Thomas Jefferson had no idea about any of this. Now, it's true Now that we're children of God, now that we are children of the light, we are to walk always as children of the light, because God, our Father, is love. So, you can't extract morality from Christianity. But we can see the folly of this pragmatism that says, keep your theological mumbo-jumbo, just tell us what to do. Christ's mission is to make us sons in the sun. And knowing that God's plan for us is to live within the eternal exchange of love, that is, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how can we now fail to live in deep communion with him now? Knowing what God has in store for us, how sad is our pervasive Catholic pragmatism that says, I don't need to pay attention to God as long as I don't kill anyone. I'm accomplishing what Christ came on earth to do. Well, revealed before us this day is the beautiful mystery of the Trinity and our call to dwell in the very heart of this eternal exchange of love. Let's refocus ourselves once again upon our great vocation to be sons and daughters of God. Let's see that Christ's mission for us is to save us and not just to police us. Let's rededicate ourselves to a life of prayer, a deeply spiritual life, so that we might know even now some of the joy of living in communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.